Jonah chapter 1. It says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All of the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo onto the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault and that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they couldn't. For the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, Oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. So an interesting story in the Bible, one that many of us will know, at least we'll know part of it, maybe as we get towards the end of Jonah, we'll think, oh, I haven't heard this bit quite as often, but for most of it, we know this part of the story, um, because often it's used in children's storybooks, isn't it? It's used in children's Bibles quite a lot. You often get the standalone book on Jonah, I know we probably sell it in the bookshop downstairs. Um, and it's, it captivates our attention because it's got very vivid Im- images in it. And the storm and the great fish and, or the whale, uh, as it might be described. Sometimes, actually, we can think, is this a real story? Is this history? Is this, is this really what happened? It, it seems like a bit of a fable. And we can think, what's, what's actually this book all about? Hopefully, we'll see over the next few messages that this book does have a lot to say to us um, and that actually it is real. Uh, It's a real historical story. Primarily, it's about the grace of God, is this book. And hopefully we will see that over the next few times we look at it. Jonah is an interesting character as well. He's a prophet. He's a prophet. But he's not a prophet like we would normally know prophets. Um, He's very different to some of the other prophets. Now, he's linked with Jesus in some ways. In, In Luke chapter 11... And verse 30, Luke chapter 11, verse 30, um, Jesus has been asked for a sign. And uh, Jesus says in verse 29, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign, 
but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so will also the Son of Man be to this generation. We'll explore that a little bit later on in another, another week. But in many ways, he's linked with Jesus. And, uh, but in a lot of ways, he's completely unlike Jesus as well. He's a bit of a, an anti-hero. He's not really the hero of the story. He's an anti-hero. He's the complete opposite of what Jesus was like. He's a real contrast. Yet in all of this, we will still see God's grace. So before we get into this book and before we get into this chapter, is there anything that we know about Jonah beforehand? Well, there's only one thing that we know about him, one place where we find out about him, and that's in 2 Kings and verse, uh, chapter 14 and verse 25. You may be surprised to know that he actually does appear in 2 Kings 14, 25. If I could find 2 Kings, it would be a help. Um, <laughs> this is a historical book, 2 Kings. So it shows that Jonah was a real historical character. 2 Kings chapter 14. Um, and it's talking about Jeroboam the second. Uh, and it says this about Jeroboam the second in 2 Kings chapter 14, we'll read verse 24. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and didn't turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, some sort of Nebat, which had caused Israel to commit. He was the one, Jeroboam, he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hepher. So there's Jonah. That's his big appearance in 2 Kings chapter 14. He's there for a verse. And, and what's he done? Well, it was a good time under Jeroboam II. I mean, he was a sinful king. He wasn't a good king. He, can't, he, he wasn't leading the people in good ways of Israel. People were still being greedy and self-indulgent and just concerned about themselves. But Jonah had prophesied something. He prophesied that Israel would extend the borders. They would develop their land. They would have more land, kind of push it back against Judah. So he prophesied this to his own people, Israel. And it happens. It happens. That's what goes on. Fantastic. If you were a prophet, that's kind of the, the pinnacle of what you can get. You know, you would imagine Jonah was thinking, you know, he's there, he's prophesying something. It's good news that he's prophesying and wow, great. It's happened straight away. He's going to be like really popular. Hey, Jonah, prophesy some more to us. What else are we going to get? He's, he's going to be the popular guy in Israel, probably not in Judah, but he's going to be the popular guy in Israel. And uh, there would have been a great temptation for Jonah just to settle down and enjoy life and enjoy the fame that he has. You know, it's quite unusual, this. And at the start of the book, God comes to Jonah. At the start of the book of Jonah, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah son of Amittai. That's pretty similar to the things that at the start of each uh, prophetic book in the Bible, the word of the Lord came to Hosea, the word of the Lord came to Amos, whoever it might be, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. And this is it. Go to the great city of Nineveh 
and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now that is slightly unusual. Because the prophets were used to prophesying against other countries, other nations. There were lots of nations round about and God would, God would use the prophets to prophesy destruction and, and judgment upon these nations which were godless and were worshipping idols. But the place that the prophet would prophesy from them would be home turf, would be home territory. It would be from Israel. They would proclaim these great prophecies out and the nation of Israel would be going, yeah, absolutely right, they're a terrible lot, those lot. Yeah, destruction, bring it on God. You know, and it was like, there would, there would be agreement there. But Jonah hasn't been asked to do that. Jonah's been asked to go to Nineveh. He's been asked to go into the lion's den, as it were, into this great city. God's even stressing how great it is, how big it is, how vast it is. Go to that great city, that one with loads of people who are all opposed me. Off you go, Jonah. He's like stressing it. Go on, go on. And he's got to preach about God's holiness. And he's got to preach about God's coming judgment on them. I don't know if you've ever been to a football match. Um, maybe, maybe one of the ones in Sheffield. Um, I often go to, to Sheffield Wednesday. And it's, it's one thing to, to be a, a Sheffield Wednesday supporter. Let's imagine they're playing United. Local derby. And uh, it's all right to be a Wednesday supporter and stand in amongst all the Wednesday crowd. And start shouting and chanting about how great Sheffield Wednesday are. And, oh, United, they're rubbish. I mean, equally, you can apply it either way if you're a United supporter. You know. But you, you're sort of shouting about how, and, you know, there might, be, there might be a few United supporters in because they've not let too many in. Um, and it's one thing to do that. It's another thing to go to Bramall Lane and to start to sing those just on your own in the middle of all the United crowd. You know, I, I did this, not with United Wednesday, but I, I, I went to watch Wednesday play Huddersfield and the other week. And uh, I sat with all the Huddersfield crowd, because my brother is a Huddersfield supporter, so I sat with him. So I'm there among all these Huddersfield supporters, and my brother in, introduces me to all these mates. Hi, oh, yeah, here's Mark, he's a Wednesday, I. I was like, oh, great. And they're all going, well, you keep quiet then. You know, and so I'm sitting there, oh, no. Thinking, oh, and, and Wednesday score. And I'm just kind of, I'm kind of just going, yep. <laughs> not going to say too much because everyone else around me is, is not very happy. You know, it's a very different prospect. If I'd have been at the Wednesday ground, I would go, yeah. I'm not there. Not at Huddersfield. Because you, you, you're in among the, the opposition. You're in among the enemy, as it were, in, in terms of Jonah. That's what Jonah's been asked to do. He's been asked to go away from home. He's been asked to go to Nineveh, stand in this great city, and proclaim its destruction. But no one follows God there. He's on his own. And Jonah's probably thinking, hang on. This isn't part of my job description, God. This isn't, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, life's good where I am. Can I not just stand here in Israel and prophesy destruction to Nineveh? Can I not just prophesy some nice things that are going to happen to Israel? God, are you going to extend the border a bit more? Can I just get a bit more popularity? No. That wasn't the way 
God wanted it to happen. That wasn't the way it was meant to work out. And that shook Jonah. We can get shaken sometimes when God asks us to do things. Or circumstances or things happen and you think, God, that's not the way it's meant to be. Surely everything was going fine and, and now this. What? I don't understand. We can question it. Actually, this, going to Nineveh and just being one in a crowd of people who are all opposed to God. Actually, that wasn't Jonah's main issue as we'll see later on. I mean, I would imagine it would have been a big issue. But it wasn't his main issue. You see, as we'll see later on in this book, God's aim ultimately was to see Nineveh turn towards him. God wanted to win Nineveh. Not that they deserved it, mind. I mean, if we read the book of Nahum. Now, this is really getting interesting now. We're getting to find some of these prophets. In it. Just a little bit further on, you'll find Nahum. Two books further on. The book of Nahum, in its entirety, three chapters, it's a prophecy against Nineveh. It's a prophecy against Nineveh and explaining and saying what it's like. It really was another, like Sodom. For example, Nahum 3 19 at the end. He goes on, he prophesies about how awful it was and and all these things that that they do and all the godlessness. And at the end, he says, Nothing can heal your wound. Your injury is fatal. And everyone who hears the news about you claps his hands at your fall. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? Nineveh was a cruel place and it extended its reach, and people were oppressed by it. And people were treated cruelly. And the Israelites would have been at the receiving end of it. And Nahum is saying, look, when you get destroyed, Nineveh, everyone is going to clap their hands. They're going to be, yeah, that's it, Nineveh. You got what you deserved. That's what Nahum. And and Jonah's probably thinking, can't I bring a message like that? Because Jonah actually knows, and we're leaping ahead a little bit. Jonah knows If I go to them, they might repent. And if they repent, God's going to forgive them. And I don't want them to forgive. I don't want him to forgive them. We're leaping ahead a little, because that's another chapter. But, But God always intended his message to be a light for the nations. He wasn't just wanting to keep it small. He wanted it to go out to these godless people on the earth. Isaiah 49 and verse 6 is one of the places that we see that, but there's many. Isaiah 49 and verse 6, God says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, so that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. It's just too small a thing. To, to, get, to get home base sorted out. It's too small a thing to concentrate on Israel. It's too small a thing just to focus in on the church and getting things right. And we, and we want to get things right in the church. We want to get our meetings good and we want to be a place where we've got good teaching. And we want to be a place where we bring the, the Word and the Holy Spirit together. And for people to be in the good of, uh, for God's people to be in the good of all he has. But it's too small a thing. 
It's too small a thing just to focus in on that. Because God is a God who says, I'm going to make you a light to the nations. I'm going to send you out. And he'd always said that, even in the Old Testament. Yes, God is a God of holiness. And he's a God of justice. And we cannot disregard that. We can't sweep it under the carpet. Yet God's love and his compassion and his grace always cause him to look to win people back for him. And Israel was to be a light to the nation, and us as a church, we are to be a light to the nations. We are to go out, Jesus says, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything he has commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And when the Israelite nation were walking with God, they knew that. They kind of accepted that, that they were to be a light for the nations. But when they were low spiritually, when they were turning away from God, as the nation was under Jeroboam, they were doing evil. They kind of turned inwardly a bit. They just were concerned about themselves. They weren't bothered. They just wanted to feel superior to other people, to other nations. They actually weren't bothered about reaching out to them. They turned inward looking. And have you noticed that? That the more you turn inward looking, it's a vicious circle really. The more you turn inwardly, the lower you get spiritually. And the, 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 the worse your relationship with, his, with God, the, the less we spend time in God, with God and hear his teaching. You know, we can just turn introspective. Look at church history. We see it happening. Great movements that were proclaiming God's name actually start to turn inward looking. They lose their effectiveness. They lose their power. Eventually, God takes his hand off them. It happens with churches. It happens with individuals. We need to keep that fire of God alive in our hearts. We need to keep God's heart for people, for others. Because when you're struggling a bit, you think, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to, I can't be, you know, I just can't be doing even with with, with looking, looking out to other people, seeing other people safe, talking to them. No, I'm just going to look inwardly. I'm, I'm happy with the church. I'll just keep things going with the church. And when you struggle a little bit more, you think, well, I, yeah, I'm finding this a little bit difficult now, so I'm going to pull back a little bit from church. You know, I'll, I'll maybe come on a Sunday, but I'm not going to core group because core group's a little bit too intense and it's a bit too threatening. People might ask me how I'm doing. I don't want that. So I'll just sit here at church. I'll just kind of move my way to the back and, uh, you know, and... I'll just focus in on my problems. Eventually, you can even shut God out totally of your life. And we can see here in this book of Jonah, that's exactly what happens to Jonah. He kind of descends in this downward spiral very quickly. God was sending Jonah in among the godless because he wanted to rescue them. And here's our first parallel with Jesus. Jonah and Jesus, because God sent Jesus, his own son, who'd always enjoyed a perfect fellowship and union with the Father and the Spirit in heaven. He sent him to come, to go into enemy territory, to go amongst the people who would reject the message, who would bring slander and insult. And he sent him to go and live amongst us. John chapter 1 and verse 14. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jonah went. 
Jonah didn't go, sorry. Jesus went. Jesus went and did the will of the Father because he wanted to bring us back to know God. Ultimately, he would die for us to save us from our own sin and the punishment that we deserved that God proclaimed. Jesus was obedient to the Father's plan. Jonah wasn't. Jonah point blank refuses. He just says, I'm not going. No, not going. Now, there's other people in, in the Bible, other people in the Old Testament, like Moses, Elijah. When God called them, they were reluctant. They were saying, well, I don't know. I, you know, I can't speak properly. I, I, how can I be the one to go to, to Pharaoh or, or, or wherever? In the end, actually, they went. They still went. Amos, he has, he has the, the, the other idea, oh, Amos, just before Jonah. Amos says this in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 8. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Amos is saying, God speaks. You've got to prophesy. You've got to do it. Who can do anything else? Answer, Jonah. Jonah can do anything else. He's not prophesying. He's not going. He's had enough. He's, he's oh, I can't be doing with this God. This, is, this wasn't the deal. His life's been fine. So he runs away. He runs away to a port called Joppa, quite near, to get on a boat to Tarshish. Tarshish was at the other end of the known world to Nineveh. It was about as far away as, as he could get. It, kind of Spain, bottom end of Spain area. Tarshish was a place where no one had even heard of God. Isaiah 66 tells us that. Isaiah 66, verse 19. God says, I will set a sign among them and I will send some of those who survived to the nations, to Tarshish, to the Libyans, to Lydians, uh, to Tubal and Greece, to the distant islands that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. They will proclaim my glory among the nations. Tarshish was one of these places. They'd not even heard of God. They didn't know anything about God. That's where Jonah was going. He wanted out. He wanted nothing else to do with God. He wanted to go to a people who hadn't even heard of God before. Where no one was going to say, hey, aren't you Jonah? Aren't you the prophet? Aren't you the, aren't you the guy who, you know, extended, said borders were going to be extended? You know, what are you doing here? So no one's even going to know him. He wants to be anonymous. Just, just hide away. He should know that he can't do that, but that's what he's doing. He's running away from God. It's not a good move. It's not a good move. But isn't it tempting sometimes? Isn't it tempting sometimes when we hear something, we feel God's challenge to us, God's word speaks to us, and we think, I can't do that. I just can't do that. How? It's not in me. I haven't got it in me. It's too difficult. God, I didn't sign up for this deal. I, I, I became a Christian, but I didn't know this was coming. I didn't know you were going to ask me to do that. I didn't know that I was going to have to go through this. I wouldn't have done it if I'd have known, God. I, d- I don't think I can cope. So tempting just to, just to say, I've had enough. I'm going. I'm off. 
And we start to shut ourselves down. Natalie uh, Bond came and, and said earlier that she felt other, some people here had almost shut themselves down. They just thought it's too much, shutting myself down. Jonas choosing to do things his way. He's had enough of God. It's too difficult for him. He wants to set the agenda now. How often do we do that? How often do we decide that we want to set the agenda? I mean, he should know he can't escape God. Psalm 139 explains that. Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. He could have added, if I go to Tarshish, you are there. Jonah was making his bed in the depths. He literally went down when he got on this boat and slept. He made his bed in the depths. But God was there. It's foolishness to think that we can hide from God, that we can run away from God. Sometimes those verses are comforting to us because we think, whatever I'm going through, I know God is with me. That's a great comfort. Actually, whenever we are saying, I've had enough, I'm running away from God, that is there to remind us we cannot do that. It's foolishness to think that. But Jonah thinks we can, and we often think we can. So he finds a boat. He goes down to Joppa, and he thinks, I'm off to Tarshish. And he goes there, and he, he gets to Joppa, and he goes, oh, and there's a boat to Tarshish. Fantastic. Now, I wonder if he thought, it's a sign. It must be God's. You know, I was right all along. I thought God was asking me to do this, but I'm going down and, you know, I'm, I'm after Tarshish and there the boat is that's going to take me there. Must be a sign. <laughs> we can do that easily, can't we? we? We can, don't put too much significance on coincidences when you've turned your back on God. If, 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 the, if you clearly, according to the word of God, you turn your back on him. If you're getting involved in something that you know is not right, don't, don't grab hold of little things and say, ah, but this, this is a sign that God clearly wants me to do this. No. No, it's not. The devil can send a ship to, Tarsh, to Joppa to take you to Tarshish just as easily as God can. The devil's not going to want us to do God's will. Just, we've just got to be careful when we, when we hear people say it. Oh, there's, you know, there's this, really, there's this really amazing job that, that I, I'd really love to get. It pays loads more money, you know. Is, is, there, a, is there a church nearby? Well, I don't think there's a good church at all nearby, but it's a really good job. It's a really good job. It'll pay really well. I'll tell you what. I, what I'll do is I'll apply for it, and uh, if I get it, that will be a sign to me that God wants me to have this job. Why? Why would it be a sign that God wants you to have the job? You might, you might be, you know, be a really good candidate. You might be really qualified. You might be just the person who would fit in the job. doesn't mean God wants you to have it. Well, God will stop me getting it if I'm not to have it. No, not necessarily. 
Not necessarily. We don't put things on coincidences. God doesn't stop us making the wrong decisions in life. He just doesn't. He didn't stop Jonah running away. He didn't stop the lost son going and taking his share of the inheritance and messing his life up. In the story, the father. He doesn't stop Jonah. He won't stop us. Now, God will intervene, and God does intervene. But he won't prevent it. And Jonah gets on the boat. He gets on the boat. What does God do instead? He sends a storm. He sends a storm. A violent storm. A great wind on the sea. God knows how to make us miserable when he needs to. He knows how to make us miserable. He knows how to make others around us miserable as well. You know, it wasn't just Jonah who was affected here, was it? It was all the other sailors. I mean, that... God's getting Jonah's attention. Or he's trying to. He's certainly getting the sailors' attention. Actually, he's not doing a great job at the moment of getting Jonah's attention. Because Jonah's gone right inward. But the other sailors on the boat, they're there. Well, what's going on here? They've never seen a storm like it. The wind's blowing. The waves are coming up higher and higher. The sailors on the boat are panicking. They'll try anything to sort it out. They, they, they try praying to their own gods, each of them. Well, pray to your god then, mate. Oh, okay, well, that's not good. Look, everyone pray to their gods. They, they'll, they'll, they'll get it sorted out. It's no good. They'll, they'll start to do things to try and make it a bit better themselves. They're throwing cargo out of the boat. This will be better. This will help. No, it's no good. They'll try anything. That's what people do. That's what people do when their life is suddenly all at sea, as it were. When their life's a mess, when the storm's hit. Well, try anything. Let's try praying. Who are we going to pray to? I didn't know you believed in God. Well, let's just pray anyway. Pray to whoever. Someone might help. doesn't matter. See if it works. There's a great clip in, in, in The Simpsons once where Homer Simpson, he's, uh, I, I can't remember exactly what's happening, but he, 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 something happens to him and he goes, Oh, I'm going to die. Jesus, Allah, Buddha, I love you all. And uh, he's just hedging his bets. That's what people do. I'll, I'll, I'll do anything. I went to someone's house once. Their, their life was in a mess. I looked around the house. And they, they had like a Christian, they had crosses on the mantelpiece next to a Buddha. They had Paul McKenna books, self-help, you know, sort your life out. She was just so desperate. I said, I said to her, I said, oh, these are some interesting things that you've, that you've got. You've got your cross, you've got your Buddha, you've Paul McKenna, you know. She goes, well, see what works, really. I'm in a mess. I just want to see what works. That's what people do. See what works. That's what the sailors were doing. I said, we can't sort out the mess of our lives by ourselves. We can't sort it out by trying to make it better. Trying to cover up things. Trying to just calm the storm. Calling on other gods. There's a lot of storms in the world. There's a lot of storms in the world. You look around. You watch the news. There's storms in the world at the moment. People are trying their best to sort things out. Do you know what? They're like the sailors. They just try to sort it out. Try to shift things here. Bit of quantitative easing here. 
Let's send some weapons out here. Let's support these people against these people. Let's try and make sure it works. Oh, I don't know. Call on your gods. Any god will do. Pray for world peace. It doesn't work. It won't work. Jonah knew what lay behind the storm. We know what lies behind the storms in the world. We're God's people. We know what lies behind the storms in the world. And Jonah knew what lay behind this one. But where was Jonah? He was asleep. He just had enough. He wanted to escape. So down he went. Down, 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 down. Down to Joppa. Down onto the boat. Down below deck. Head down. Escape. Pillow overhead. I don't want anything to do with this. Don't want to know. Everyone's calling out. Everyone's panicking. No, not listening. I'm up. Hiding. He just wanted to escape. And we can look to escape life too. Because life can be tough. Life's difficult. And we can just look to escape. So we, we turn to all sorts of things to escape. We turn to TV or the internet or gaming addictions or gambling or comfort eating or just general boredom and aimlessness in life, you know, going through one day to the next, nothing really happening. Oh, I just get to the weekend, go out, have a drink or two, see my mates, start again, same old cycle. I'm just ambling along. We know what's wrong with the world, but we kind of think, well, you know, it's not so bad. We don't want to know. We can easily slip into it. Has our relationship with God got so dulled or messed up with our sin, our own sin, that we just don't care any longer? Do we think it's just enough to, you know, it's hard enough to get through the next day. I can't lift my head to that. If we run away from God, if we get like Jonah did, we just end up in this stagnant kind of sleep. There's no joy in life anymore. There's no passion for God or what we're doing. It's just going through the motions. It's not living. And it's not what God created us for. It's not what God created us for. But we can easily get there. And the captain of the ship goes down and he finds Jonah. And he, and he says to Jonah, look, how can you sleep? How can you sleep with such a great storm going on? Get up and call on your God. You know, maybe, maybe he'll take notice of us and not perish. You know, maybe Jonah's the one. He's, you know, it's his God. He can call on his God. The same as everyone else is calling on their God. Actually, this, this godless sailor has got more wisdom than Jonah has at the moment. And he's saying, come on, call on your God. Jonah, wake up. You call on God. And we can think, well, how ridiculous, Jonah. Yeah, how ridiculous. But how can the church sleep when we see what's going on in our world? That's why Paul exhorts the church in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14. He says, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up. We need to wake up to God if we've allowed ourselves to get in this slumber. Rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. We are to shine. 
Christ's light into this world. We're to bring hope to the world. The ship's captain has seen maybe this is Jonah's God that caused it. Maybe it's God that needs to stop it. I mean, there's no evidence that, that Jonah does pray. He's, oh, okay, he gets up. He doesn't say praise. They're still trying to work it out. Wake up, Jonah. Wake up, church. They cast lots, and the lot falls on Jonah. It's Jonah. Jonah's the cause of this. And they start bombarding him with questions. You can imagine them crowding around Jonah, one after the other. Who's responsible for this? Who's making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? They're asking him all these questions. They've honed in on him. He knows. And he says, oh, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Not just some little God. He's the creator God who made the sea and the land. And they realize, they're like, oh, what? This is terrible. This is terrible. What have you done? They say, what have you done? The sea is getting rougher and rougher. It's getting desperate. And the captain has said to Jonah, pray or we will perish. Pray or we will perish. There's two options here, Jonah. You pray to your God or we're going to perish. And it seems like Jonah just thinks, forget praying. Let's perish. I'm going to perish. He's accepted. He says, look, just pick me up, throw me into the sea. It will become calm. It's due to me. I know it's my fault. It's my fault this has happened to you. He's just thinking that's it. He's accepted his guilt. He knows he's deserved punishment. But the sailors, they, they don't want to kill him. You know, they think, well, couldn't we just take Jonah back to shore? So that's what they try and do. They start to try and row the boat back to shore. You know, this is where it came from. Let's just take him to Joppa. He'll, he'll go back to his God and he'll sort it all out and we'll be okay. Surely that'll be okay. But no, they start trying to row back to the shore, but they can't do it. The wind and the waves, they get even stronger and higher. God's not allowing it. I mean, Jonah's sin deserves death. He does get rescued in the end. We see at the end of the chapter by this great fish that God provides, but, but it's God's grace that provides it. He's, he can't just turn the clock back as though he never sinned. And the sea's growing wilder, and, and, the, and the sailors think, well, they realize God's might in this. They realize he's the true God. They've stopped calling on their gods now. And they call on the one true God, the God who created everything, the God who created the heavens and the sea. And just before they throw him in the sea, they plead for God's mercy on them for taking his life. In verse 14, they say, Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Interesting thing to pray, isn't it? What what an interesting thing to pray. Because they've... They've just been asking, who's responsible for this? Who's making this trouble for us? Who's guilty? And they found out Jonah's guilty. And he's accepted he's guilty. So why are they saying, don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man? He's not innocent. He's not innocent. He's guilty. And they knew he wasn't. 
But here again, we see a parallel with Jesus. We see a parallel with Jesus. Jesus was an innocent man. He was an innocent man. There was no sin found in him. Yet he was killed to rescue us, to save us. Luke 23, 34 says that Jesus died on the cross and he called out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. People were killing him, not realizing who he was. Yet these men pleading for their own lives, and they're realizing, they're realizing actually, even if we throw him in, it's God who's doing this. It's God who's bringing Jonah to his death. It's God who's bringing him this punishment. For you, O God, Lord, have done as you pleased. Compare that to what Peter says in Acts 2 and verse 23. When he's speaking on the day of Pentecost, he talks about Jesus. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. It was God's plan. It was God's plan that he did through wicked men. And this was God's plan as well for Jonah. It was God's plan that he was thrown into the sea. No, I'm not going to let you take him back to land. It's my plan that he's cast into the sea. He's cast into the depths. Yeah, he chose to go down to the sea. He's going down even further to the depths. It's my plan. I'm going to do it through you. You're going to throw him in. We've seen that. We've seen that. It's God's plan. And the sea is growing wilder and wilder. And the sailors think, this God is so mighty, so powerful. And they throw him in, and the sea gets calm. Suddenly, it's calm. Because this is the God who created everything. He created this storm out of nothing. He's calmed it. He's a mighty, powerful God. And these sailors, they worship him. The men greatly feared, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. Oh, God, you are God now. They've seen, they've turned away. From their gods, and they're making a vow to him. These ungodly men, through this episode, have seen something of God's power. And you know, it's by seeing God's power and his might and his holiness that people today will turn again to the living God. They won't do it by us just becoming more relevant or more attractive as a church or having better music or having better. PA or, or, or visual effects or whatever it might be. They're not, they won't come to us like that. They won't come by us being nice to people, although God calls us to love each other and to love others. But people need to see something of who God is. They need to see something of God's might and power. They need to encounter the holiness of God so that there's a fear of God comes so that people turn to him. It's often known as revival. We'll be hearing more about it at the weekend away next week. I'd urge you to come. That's what we need. People need to know who God is again. 
not just one of many. That's who, that's who God was to start off with, to the sailor, to the captain. Jonah's God's one of many. Ah, not long later, Jonah's God is the one true God. And it's him we're going to worship. And it's him we're going to turn to. Through this whole episode, God's grace goes out. Through this one disobedient prophet, God's grace has gone out to some sailors who never knew him. Suddenly they're worshipping him. God wants his grace to go out to Nineveh. God wants his grace to go out to the world. You know, God can use you. Even if you're like Jonah with your head down, your pillow over your head, I don't want to know. God can still use you. It might not be comfortable for, him, for you. So in all this, as we wind up, is God just punishing Jonah for doing wrong? Actually, no. This is God's merciful intervention into Jonah's life. Jonah thinks he can run away from God, and he can't. He can't. And God is intervening. He's intervening to bring him back into relationship with God. To bring him back. Not just to be vindictive and punish him and kill him. God doesn't just say, oh, well, you know, Jonah, if you can't be bothered, I've got plenty of prophets who can. You know, I've heard what Amos has said. Amos is the one who, you know, he's like, God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? He'll do it. He doesn't go and ask Amos. He doesn't get this second choice in. All right, you suit yourself. He's pursuing Jonah. He's pursuing him. God pursues us. God doesn't just dismiss us when we hide away. He's not forgotten us. He's not given up. He provides a fish to swallow Jonah. The story's not ended. Jonah's still in a bad place. A bad and stinky place now. But God in his grace loves to rescue people from bad places. When we see God's interventions in our lives, we can see them in different ways. We can see them as just punishment. Oh, God, he's just laying it on even more now. Actually, Hebrews, Hebrews 12 reminds us that it's, it's not like that. Hebrews 12 and uh, verse 5. It says, Have you forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? Do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone who he accepts as a son. When God intervenes in our lives, and when we go through some of these things, actually, it's God who is doing it in us. He's doing it in us because he loves us. And he wants to remind us we're his children. And it's when we recognize this in our own lives that we'll start to get better instead of getting bitter. We need to stop being bitter and angry about what God has done in our lives and how it wasn't all part of the deal. And actually say, God, what do you want to do? I just need you. I'm so sorry for where I've been. (sighs) But I see your hand in this, even though it's painful. The opening chapter here of Jonah has shown us a holy and righteous God whose love extends beyond all the borders that we would put up. It extends far beyond that border that Jonah prophesied would go out a little bit more. No. It stretches out to the godless cities of this world, 
with a message that proclaims judgment, yes, but it offers hope and forgiveness. It's a message that stretches to godless sailors, to those around us who might be brought to call on the name of the Lord and recognize his might, even in spite of us sometimes. And it stretches us to this love of God, even when we're far off, even when we're stubborn and rebellious and self-centered and disinterested or hard-hearted or despairing. God's grace brings us the gospel. It truly is good news. He doesn't come to make good people better. He comes to make dead people alive. He's caught us up in his plan to rescue the world, as we were hearing this morning. That's who we are. And maybe you think, well, I didn't realize that when I signed up for it. I didn't realize that when God called me. I didn't know it would be like this. Probably not. Probably not. But that's God's plan for you. That's God's plan for us as a church. I would urge us, let's not be like Jonah. I mean, God will reach out to us. It'll be a painful process. But let's come, turn back to God, give ourselves to him and say, God, you are God. I am so in awe of you. I am so grateful for what you have done and for your love that reaches out to me. And I'll follow you and serve you wherever you lead and whatever you call. Let's pray.